0: So what intimidates you or makes you feel anxious? When was the last time you felt you're in way over your head? Do you remember something like that? Maybe it was like your first baby. You're like, what are we doing? A human being? Just us? We don't know what to do with this human being. Mom, help. Dad, help. Maybe it was a new job. And you felt like, wow, I mean, I got the job. So grateful for that but can I really handle the pressures and the expectations? Maybe it was um, getting on that team, being in that classroom. It's trigonometry after all. <laughs> You're like, what am I doing? I, I, I can't handle this, or it's chemistry, or it's just the, I don't know, the, the weight of responsibilities in this world. And you just go, how do I keep functioning and do well, and I feel overwhelmed and can make us feel anxious or intimidate us or make us feel like we just don't, we don't have what it takes. I know a lot of people feel that these days because of the expectations of this world or maybe the expectations we see in the media or from others. The Lord wants to tell us today, He is our adequacy. He is the one that when we feel like we get in over our head, that He is our, our strength and He is our wisdom and He's the one that will carry us when it gets most difficult. And that's really why we're doing this series in 2 Timothy. We're looking on an incredible letter that Paul writes to Timothy and encourages him that he's not in over his head, that he will be able to handle the pressures of doing ministry and just walking with God in a time where there was much persecution of the church in that first century, that he's not relying on himself, but on the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in him. Like we talked about in Ephesians in these last few weeks, that with the armor on, right, he can stand up against the attacks of the enemy, the attacks against the gospel, and that he can bear fruit For Christ and have this great building joy that even Paul had with all the circumstances he faced. So we're in this series, 2 Timothy, and make sure I get the title right, Ready for Every Good Work. Can you and I actually say we're ready for every good work God brings to us to perform for his glory? And not like, well, just not the ones that are out of my control or over my head. No, those two, whatever God lays in front of us. He will be faithful to perform through us if it's a good work he's lined up in advance for you or for me. So we're gonna jump right in. This great letter, one of the three pastoral epistles, 2 Timothy, a second letter to Timothy. Uh, and we're gonna jump right in. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. You can take notes. Um, we're also gonna have our sermon notes every week outside. You can get those on the website. Uh, As well. So any companion pieces or the notes of the sermon with the verses and some reflection questions will all be there. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is the Apostle Paul's second letter to Timothy, written while he was in his second imprisonment, a Roman imprisonment, and this time it wasn't just house arrest, it was him chained in a cell, no visitors, very isolated. The persecution had been heating up under Nero. In this letter, Paul is keenly aware that his time is not long in this world. He was virtually abandoned due to the intensity of the persecution of Christians around him. So as we move through this letter together... You'll see these strong themes, these themes of endurance, being confident of the scriptures, avoiding error, partnership in the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the role of courage in the believer's life. So, Paul makes clear in verse 1 that he's preaching this gospel, this promise of life in Christ, because it was God's idea. It wasn't something he dreamed up or he thought, hey, I'm going to be really spiritual. What could I do? He was zealous as a Pharisee, he was trained on Gamaliel, he knew the Old Testament law, he was zealous for the law, in fact, so much so that he was persecuting himself. He was persecuting Christians before he had this Damascus road experience and God directed his zeal for the law to now have zeal for the kingdom of God, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself being the fulfillment of the law, and that would just make sense zealous for the law, but now the one who fulfilled the law, now zealous for him, zealous for Christ, and that the extension of the kingdom, the invitation to come to Christ through what he accomplished on the cross, through his death and his resurrection. What an incredible gospel to be given, what an incredible privilege that Paul had, and he wanted Timothy to know that right at the beginning, an apostle of Christ, a messenger, a proclaimer, of this great gospel, which was the promise that there's only life found in Christ. This abundant and eternal life is only found in Christ. That he was chosen by God's will. He was set apart as God's will. He was sent to the Gentile world to let all people know of all cultures and backgrounds that they are invited to come to Christ as well. The same is true today as you go out and share Christ locally and around the world. But he wanted to remind this protege Timothy, this younger believer, this partner in the gospel, that this was all God's idea, God's plan, God's will. He set it up. And he writes that with great, I think, joy in his heart that he was chosen for such a high privilege to let others know that they could leave the kingdom of darkness and their sin and come into the kingdom of light and walk with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So as he's on his second preaching journey, his second missionary journey, he's in Lystra and he meets Timothy and Timothy comes to faith. And Paul sees such such promise in young Timothy that he took him on as a disciple, a learner of Christ, to travel with him sharing the gospel and planting churches. And Timothy would prove to be Paul's greatest companion and gospel partner. We see Paul's high regard for Timothy in the book that he wrote or in the letter that he wrote to the Philippians in chapter 2 verse 20 Philippians 2:20 says for I have no one like him Paul speaking of Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare for they all seek their own interests not those of Jesus Christ but you know Timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father he was he has served with me in the gospel so Paul says that Timothy stands out why did he stand out because his interests were not centered on himself. The reason he stood out to Paul was that his interests were the interests of Christ. And the interests of Christ are always the welfare of others. We often think, well, the interest of Christ is to just bless me. He said he'd take care of that in Christ. We just follow him. And if we're about his purposes and his interests, is to take our eyes off of self and actually look to the welfare of others around us. And he said, Timothy was unique this way. Timothy stood out amongst others because he didn't get all wrapped up in himself. He had eyes to see and a heart to care for the needs of others, the welfare of others around him. So he wanted to serve alongside Paul and even in his absence, looking to the interests of Christ, which is the welfare of others around him and those that don't yet know Christ, bringing them into the kingdom if they would so choose and then building them up in Christ, their spiritual welfare and their daily welfare. So even right here, just after the first couple of verses, I want to ask us a question. Is this quality seen in you? Do you stand out because you're so committed to the welfare of others? Do people know you as someone, yes, who has a job and is responsible for the things you're responsible for, but you're a person who actually has your eyes more focused on the interest of Christ, which is what? To have your eyes focused on the welfare of others around you. Are you that focused on the welfare of your spouse? Are you that focused on the welfare of your children that they would understand the love of Christ and his wisdom? And Are you that focused when you're in the workplace that it's not about you hitting your numbers and pleasing the boss and maybe you get the promotion or you'll get the bonus or you'll get the... That you're actually... You'll put that in God's hand and work hard as unto him but pursuing the interests of God in the others that are around you because they're not there by accident and you are not there in that job by accident, even on the days that it's frustrating for you even to be in that job. That could be the day most of all God wants to use you because you'll rely on him more. So this was the reputation that Timothy had. Paul wanted him as part of the gospel team to let others know that God is so interested in your needs spiritually and in your life, and he will provide. But we have to pause and say, are we standing out in that same way that Timothy stood out? Then he goes on in verse three, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. You know, I see a couple things jumping out here. He talks about ancestors, so this legacy of faith. He talks about praying day and night. He talks about joy and tears. How does all this work together? Well, it's, a, it's, it's his heart being open, being filleted open for Timothy to see, and for you and I now, knowing this letter would be read to Timothy, surely, and to the churches of that day. And now we're here studying the same letter. Open so we could see the heart of Paul for someone that he partnered with in the gospel. A warm blessing and encouragement to Timothy. So he first thanks God that he can serve God with a clear conscience like his ancestors did, possibly referring to Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Moses or David or others, men and women that have walked faithfully with God as an example, holding, bearing the torch for Christ, zealous for Christ in his kingdom. And Paul surely looked back on those days when he was persecuting Christians because he yet didn't have a relationship with the Father through Christ. He had a relationship, if you will, through the law, but now Christ came as the fulfillment of the law and now he could have a personal relationship through the Son with the Father with the help of the Holy Spirit and everything changed on that Damascus road for Paul. The zeal now was shifted to the kingdom and to Jesus and he appreciated the legacy of those that have gone before him and now passed the baton to him or the torch to him. And he thinks of Timothy, that he's passed that torch to him and others in Timothy's life that have done that. And he sees it as this incredible honor to represent Christ. And he wanted Timothy to know, it's like, hey, we have this long lineage. Look at all these people that have been these faithful forerunners, these torchbearers, these, these men and women that weren't perfect, but they walk with God. And, and it's changed me, and it's changing you, Timothy. And we're going to keep going and doing this together for the sake of anyone that would come to Christ and be involved in the kingdom. So he opened his heart. He talked about the lineage. He talked about the heritage that they were a part of and then could extend to others. He wanted Timothy to understand this is something so much bigger than you, Timothy, or me, even as the apostle Paul, or any of us. This is about Christ and his kingdom that he's building, that even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we're part of that. And you guys hearing me right now, you're part of that. You've been given the torch of the gospel if you know Christ. You have the light of God in your life through Christ. You have something to share. As frail or timid as you can feel at times, as much as you're struggling against sin and wanting to progress in your faith and have more and more victory, you still have the torch. It's in your life. And he's asking you to carry it like Paul carried it, like Timothy carried it. And to remember to pray. For those that carry the torch. So Paul said, I constantly remember you in my prayers. And how often? What does he say? Day and night. I pray for you day and night. Can we say that for anyone? We pray for you as you walk with God. We pray, and I've been praying for you that you would come to Christ. You know Christ. I've been praying day and night for your fruitfulness and your faithfulness in Christ with daily passion for those in our family. Do we have that same heart to pray for others that way? You know, a lot of people are into uh, uh, Ancestry.com or 23andMe, and they look at the whole ancestral tree, and I'm one one gazillionth like Indian or Chinese or whatever. I, did you know that? I didn't know that. I was like, like, wow, did you even? And it's fun. And sometimes we get maybe more animated or excited about finding out our history there than we do thinking about the legacy that we're supposed to build now. That yeah, we're on this earth, however we got here, whatever blend of whatever cultures and ancestors we have, our focus should be, like Paul was saying to Timothy, this spiritual legacy. Are we looking at our family, do we pray night and day for our children that they would know Christ if they don't yet know Christ, or start walking with him, growing in Christ so that they Can experience all that God has for their life and be useful to the King of Kings? Are we looking at our spiritual legacy tree like that? Do we understand that there are people around us that look to us as we walk with God to understand how to have a relationship with God? Is that passion present in our life? It's a good question. It's worthy of our pondering. And how much focus and time and energy and prayer, which is a sacrifice. Make no mistake, we figured that one out, right? Prayer is not easy. Prayer takes sacrifice. But are we with the same heart praying and loving and serving and pointing people to Jesus with that same passion that Paul had that he was encouraging Timothy to continue to have? Next, in these verses, we see him talking about tears and this joy that he had just hanging out with Timothy. Timothy. And yet, he's in a prison cell, and Timothy's in Ephesus. But, you know, he remembers, he, he recalls the tears that they had last time they were together, whatever conversation that he's referring to. We don't really know all that was going on in Timothy's life or Paul's. We just know they're in the midst of persecution. They're trying to tell people about Christ. They have a spiritual enemy that doesn't want it to happen. It was not easy life or easy ministry. What was going on, we don't know exactly. But they were open and vulnerable enough to to have the tears, the reality of the struggle, because they were in the struggle, and they were burdened by those that didn't show any interest or openness to Christ, or would try to make life miserable for them as messengers of the gospel. Or maybe Paul was thinking back on that time in Acts 20, 36, where he and the elders at Ephesus knelt down together and prayed, and it says, Paul knelt down with the elders and prayed with them all and there was much weeping. Maybe that's because they knew Paul was to leave and probably wouldn't be long in this world. That there was a prophecy even to that end. But Paul was willing to be faithful regardless of what would come. Maybe he was thinking of those tears or that brokenness. All I know is that it's very clear that Paul was comfortable talking about emotions as a man talking about tears, passionate things, things that really matter in life. Sometimes we get passionate, but man, they're, they're about things that may not matter as much or surely not as much as the gospel and life change and people being rescued from the kingdom of sin and darkness to come to Christ. Paul was very clear that's where his passion was. It was Timothy's passion. Timothy stood out for similar reasons. But boy, could could Paul have used a quick FaceTime, right? (laughs) With Timothy, sitting in that prison cell, chained up to that wall. He surely could have used some text going back and forth. That would have been a text trail for you, right? But all he could really do, and really the best thing he could do was pray night and day for Timothy. So he shot that up to God and trusted God to let Timothy know. And this letter to let Timothy know. He was expressing his emotion and his joy looking back, thinking of the times that he's had with Timothy, co-laboring for the gospel. This battle-worn apostle did carry a heavy burden, didn't he? Caring for the churches, the weight of persecution that had delivered him into a prison, the thorn in his flesh. You remember Paul prayed three times that God would remove some physical ailment he had. And God didn't choose to heal him, but he said, I will give my grace to you that will be sufficient For you, so that my power be made perfect in your weakness. So, he dealt with a thorn, but had much grace. The threat of death, the isolation of prison. Paul understood partnership and teamwork, and how much Timothy meant to him in terms of the joy of his heart. And when you think of people in ministry, do you do you think of the joy that you have because you get to be in relationship or team up for Jesus, or they encourage you to keep fighting on, fighting the good fight? But I know one thing that's clear here and in other places where Paul's written in the New Testament that he was not trying to be the tough guy and not let people in on his hurts or his hardships. In fact, he was the opposite. He didn't have some reputation to uphold or some, you know, killing it type of guy or making it happen in his own strength. He was comfortable being real. The hardships and the hurts were there. He was real about those He understood his emotions, but he understood how Christ could help him with all that he faced to be more than a victor, more than a conqueror. Paul chose to be vulnerable and expressive with his emotions, didn't he? He chose to express how much Timothy meant to him. And I think this is a great model for us today. I think these days people are very reserved, maybe guys more than gals, but to actually let other people know how much they mean to them to let them know regularly how much you love them, that their ability here or their ability there or the way that they respond to others in the family or just live out through their gifts or their strengths or their talents. Never pretending that they're perfect, never expecting that they would think you're perfect or you should be perfect, but just an honest, vulnerable, heart-open responsiveness to the people in your life, and you let them know how much joy they bring you. Again, not because they never have disappointed you, or might right now have a little something that bothers you, but because of the other 99.9999% that you can say thank you and express the joy and how much just being with you makes me happy. It just brings me joy. It brings me joy. It it does something. The way God's made you blesses me. Your gifts bless me. Your heart blesses me. And to let them know that. Why do you think it is we get so tongue tied? Why do you think that is? Why aren't we more expressive like a Paul to a Timothy? Why do you think that is? What holds back? That encouragement, that praise, that expression of joy, the hurt of the hardship in being willing to be vulnerable. Well, I think the culture just says you got to like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Emotions can't be trusted. You got to be hard. You got to make it happen. You got to be the guy. You got to be the gal. You got to be self-independent. You have to be self-actualized. You have to what? Have pride in yourself. And I'd say, God says just the opposite. No, you don't have pride. You have pride in Christ. You're comfortable being real because that's the truth. So instead of a facade that's not the truth, all your insecurities, you're able to actually get in touch with them and say, yeah, yeah, that stuff makes me nervous, but can you pray for me? Like, yeah, I I usually do that. I know, isn't that weird? I grew up like that, and I don't know why I did, but uh, yeah. And like, we're comfortable, like, I'm discovering more of me, and I'm comfortable letting you know that. I never grew up with that in my home. My, and personally, you know, my parents didn't say, I love you, I believe in, you know, what God's done in you, and, and here's where I could see you. I didn't have that, so God gave me that through other people in my life, which is awesome. And you can probably say that too. You could blame people or your parents or others or lack of, or you could say, Lord, look what you've, you've put around me now. Look who you've built into my life now. Look at the church I'm in now. Look at the life group or the small group I'm in now. Look what I'm receiving from you through people that tell me that I matter, that I'm loved, that God's doing something in my life where I've been helpful to them. So sometimes you feel like, well, I haven't gotten it. I haven't gotten much of it. How could I ever give that? Well, I'm telling you today, no, you have gotten it. You just haven't recognized it. You're getting it now. God really loves you. You matter huge to him. He went to a cross for you. He didn't forget you. He's never forgotten you. He's cried those tears. There are a couple of verses I want to remind you of. Psalm 56, 8, you have kept my tossing, kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in a bottle. Are they not in your book? The psalmist is saying, of course you know when I toss and when I cry and when I've been hurt and the stuff. I've been there and I was there all along. And I've been shepherding you and I've been trying to bring healing, but you've been pushing me away and that's okay because I still love you. But uh, let my love now bring the healing and the strength that you say you've lacked. Let it come and fill your heart now. That's why I encourage you guys and and just myself to just be in the Word every day. I need to hear those promises from God, don't you? You need them. You desperately need them. In yourself, you're weak. But in the strength of the power and promises of God, you're strong. And that fills you up. That meets those needs. None of you should walk out of here with a wound that you say, oh, it's just still... No, get healing from the Lord in that. You're loved. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Whether the sin happened to you or you sinned towards someone else or you blew something bump in your own life. It doesn't matter. You can have forgiveness and cleansing in the Lord and healing. When that healing comes, your heart is set free. It beats with the love of God. You can't contain the love of God. It, It starts to overwhelm you. And I like to say it like this. It so fills your heart that there's this overflow. And the love of Christ splashes on other people around you. If you're not splashing on other people around you, you've got a lack in your own heart. There's a hole in your heart, right? Like you remember that song? The hole in the middle of your heart, whatever sure. Only Jesus can fill a kind of thing. I don't even remember it. I was hoping you did. Anyway. Um, and as he fills it and he, he kind of fills in those holes, then the love of God can truly fill you and it overflows. So you'll have the words of encouragement and blessing and joy. You'll be able to tell people vulnerably, yeah, I'm hurting here. Help me with this, or could you pray with me? But you can also then, in the same conversation, the same conversation, look him in the eye and say, you know how grateful I am for you, though? Thank you for listening to me. You know how grateful I am for you, for your ministry? Jeff, when you're behind the board, but you know how grateful I am for that? I appreciate that. dear guys, Sean's back there, you know, Melissa and all her years. Every one of you, let people know we're in partnership together. Are you kidding? Like, this would not happen unless we all did what we do. But then more and more. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the broken heart and saves the crushed in spirit. Even in those moments where we feel like, oh, life is heavy, hard, I, I need his healing, I need his help, and we feel like, you know, we can't really accomplish much for God and we have to be a lowly person set to the side. No, it's like the Lord says, I'm close with you, I, I heal you, I, I gather you up and hold me close clothe you close to my heart. The Savior leads me. He's with me. He carries me. I will speak to you. I sing over you. Do you realize that? How much I love you? I have special songs just for you. That's how much I love you. I do that over you. The angels minister to you. You don't even see them, you know. We learned about that in the last few weeks. But they're there and they're working and they're battling the enemy. That's how much I love you. And even when you're crushed in spirit or broken hearted, I'm there and I'm even more near. Just turn to me. And even in those moments, and I would say, especially because of those moments, you're experiencing more of the love and tenderness and forgiveness and grace of God. You have more to now share. Do you get that? There's more to share because he's allowed you to go through this hardness or this dark time or this temptation that came your way and you had to battle. Now you've got more to share. Paul battle worn in the good fight, had so much to share because the Lord had become so close and tender to him. And he wanted Timothy to know, I love you, Timothy. You make me happy. You fill me with joy. This is awesome what you're doing in God. Now keep going. You'll see where he goes next. But it was a sincere, expressive heart. Do we have expressive hearts like that in our relationships? Do we have the depth And the joy and the encouragement that we see Paul expressing to Timothy. Can you think of any other examples of that in Scripture? Any of these friendships? How about David and Jonathan? Great one to study. Or Ruth and Naomi, their special bond. Or Jesus with Peter and James and John. I mean, some incredible friendships. I have a lot of those in our life group. Over the years, that's what happens when you go through the thick and thin, right? That's what happens. If you don't bail, if you go like, wow, you know, God is here for us and we need him and you press in to one another and to God together. So when someone, talk to Steve Wentz about this, when someone's out on a run and they fall over and their heart stops and then God does all these miracle things and brings the whole life group around them to encourage them and lift them up and pray for them, they'll never be the same, we will never be the same, and then whose turn's next? Not that, Hopefully. But, oh, loss of a job. Oh, that illness. Oh, this situation. Oh, that, you know, family member or son or daughter or parent or, or whatever. Whatever goes on, we're there. And I would say, I could say this. I'm looking at a couple of you in our life group right now. We die for each other. I know that. Now, we haven't had to do that yet. So we get to live for each other. We get to serve one another. We get to lean hard on each other and God draws us together and there's great great joy in the relationships we're becoming more fully known thus more fully loved because we're being more vulnerable more open and in our greatest times of need we move in closer if you're not in a life group I encourage you to get in a life group there's nothing like them not saying life groups are perfect there are bible studies other groups and accountability groups there's all over this church but get in one Get close so that you can start pouring your heart into the lives of others. That when you're a in spirit, you can share that and you'll have the strength of brothers and sisters come alongside you. When you have more tears than laughter, the people moving close. When you have your greatest celebrations over a new baby, a new job, a new provision, an answered prayer, you got people ready to party and thank God with you. Mitchell, <laughs> this is awesome. I love you sitting right there and just... You know, just what God's done in your life. Talk to Mitchell. A story of miracles and provision and love and surrounding and all that. I could go on and on, but be that committed and close to others. Remember the tears. Be vulnerable like his model tear. Guys, open your hearts to other men. Couples to other couples. And let's see what the Lord would do in new ways. And then he moves on in verse 5. He talks about sincere faith. He goes, I am reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Lois, are you here? Is Lois surely here? Is she here? Oh, the one week she's not here. Because this one's on her. Anyway, no. But a gal named Lois, I didn't know if she knew that her, main, her name means better. Eunice means joyous victory. So no wonder Timothy's name means honorable. That they were honoring the Lord and through being better, pointing him to who's better and the joyous victory that's found in Christ through his cross, that Timothy could be a man that honors God. Honorable. What an incredible legacy to have a mom and a grandma like Timothy did. They were devout Jews that became followers of Christ. They taught Timothy the Old Testament scripture, but then the further truths of the gospel of Christ as they came to know Christ personally themselves. The one who came and fulfilled the law that they first taught Timothy. Now that one, the hope, the Messiah has come and you can walk now personally with him. They were devoted to passing on a sincere faith to Timothy. They were a spiritual team surrounding him with these great truths. Praise the Lord for grandmas and for moms that do that and for aunts that do that. I have an Aunt Polly who is like the hub of our extended family on my father's side. From my earliest memory, it was Aunt Polly who always sent the birthday cards, always sent the cards, always remembered, always checking in on family. And we have a pretty big family. I think five, six kids on my dad's side and and just multiple, you know, just how? How she always got the birthday card there on time or early. I don't know. I guess she used an old-fashioned calendar and wrote everyone's birthday down, probably marked on it, like just every new kid, every new, but she was praying for us. The biggest thing is she was praying for us, and she'd let you know that. So Aunt Polly, it's going to be pretty fun for her to enjoy her reward one day in heaven when Jesus recalls how much all that meant to me. And to so many people in our family that she prayed for night and day. She took her legacy seriously. She understood how to be a genuine, faith-filled grandma, mom, aunt. But maybe you're wondering, where where were the men? The fathers and the grandfathers didn't get mentioned here. Mom and grandma were faithful. God used them. But what if every guy sitting here were the faithful legacy producers in their family that we take seriously our calling to shepherd our wives and our children and serve them in the name of the Lord and bring them up to love God as best we can. We can't control their choices, but we can surely work hard toward a legacy that honors God in all the lives that we have within our reach, not just our own kids, others in the church. Other men, other young men, other women, other younger sisters in the Lord or so on. What if we together just said at this church, we're going to do what Scripture says. We're going to be a spiritual network, a teamwork of legacy builders, legacy of faith. That's what Deuteronomy 4 told those that first started walking with God. Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to who? children's children, your children and the children's children. You have that responsibility and privilege, and so do I, to our children and our children's children, and their friends, and to others and other ministries in the church and others in the community. If we care, do we care? Are we praying night and day with passion? Are we like a Paul looking at a a young, you know, man in the Lord, Timothy, or our son or our daughter? Are we praying night and day? Are we reaching out are we trying to influence and lead others to the understanding of who Christ is is our faith that sincere that we care about the legacy that goes not just one generation or two but multiple generations sincere means undisguised without hypocrisy not outward appearance like the pharisees jesus had a lot of trouble with the pharisees and their brand of quote unquote faith didn't he matthew 23:25 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. He's saying, there's no such thing really as pretend faith. That doesn't even, that's not even a thing. That's a mental or spiritual game that people play, trying to impress others for some reason or to appear something they're truly not inside. You clean up the outside, but inside greed and self-indulgence and other sin. Remember, real faith is humble. Real faith is sacrificial. Real faith is about glorifying God, not self. Real faith has a story of radical life change and continued life change. Real faith has clear obedience and steps of faith. Real faith has fruit. But don't get fooled. Pretend faith does has, have a deceitful upside. That's why so many people can fall into it. Oh, it is attractive on the outside. Remember that clean dish and that clean plate look kind of inviting. Who wouldn't want to have a clean plate and clean dish on the outside for people to admire? Don't be fooled. It can impress people. Fake faith can develop a reputation for you initially. It does stroke your pride. It will allow you to hide and hold on to your sin while you play the religious actor to feel good about yourself for whatever insecure reasons you have. And if you don't ever share your weakness or hurts or brokenness or fears, you can keep up the facade. But it's empty and destructive and it dishonors God. You'll never be known and thus never deeply loved because you weren't fully known because you weren't fully honest. There wasn't a sincerity in your faith. Jesus is the one who fully knows us and can fully love us, right? That's why we go to him because that's real faith. Then he shows us how we can learn to be vulnerable and become fully known so we can be fully loved and we can get to know others more fully and share that love and acceptance even in their hardest moments and circumstances. So we follow Jesus in what he did in fully knowing us but fully loving us. We can be vulnerable like Paul was, not trying to pretend, being real with the hardships and the difficulties, and the persecution so that his heart was out there so he could be fully embraced by a guy like Timothy that could say, we're in this together, fully sincere with Christ in this. And as hard as it gets, we know we'll be there for each other to the point of death if necessary. That's sincere faith. Where is your faith? Not sincere. Ask the Lord. Where are you just trying to put a good foot forward clean up the outside a little bit but the reality is there's hatred in your heart lack of forgiveness selfishness lust pride whatever other things whatever other sin this morning i'd hate you to to play that game any longer i I would hope you would be honest even as you're hearing these words that you would look inside and say lord would you clean up the inside too i don't want to be full of self-indulgence and sin and, and other pride or issues lord clean the inside yes outside in terms of like wow i want to say that i know christ but i want the reality of christ in my heart that's what was important to paul to timothy and as we read this letter i hope it becomes more and more important to us to be people of sincere faith then because when you place your faith in christ and you ask him to forgive your sin because you've humbled yourself he does And you're set free from your sin and you're forgiven and washed clean. And the Holy Spirit comes to live in you and seals you and you are now God's. And that's forever. And he will sustain you to the end. And if you know that's happened for you, that's sincere. That will never change. You'll have hard days or hard months. You'll struggle with sin and you'll have victory and victory and then you'll fall down. You'll get back up because it's real. I don't want anyone to leave here and not have real faith. That was what was most important to Paul. Real, sincere faith. Do you have real, sincere faith or where you're playing the actor, confess it to God that all aspects of your life would line up behind Christ. And then verse six. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So what's he getting after here? He's telling Timothy, fan it. You have the Holy Spirit. When we laid hands on you and ordained you for this ministry, to shepherd with these other elders, this church in Ephesus, you got to fan it. You, Timothy, have to fan the Holy Spirit who's in you. You have to get out of the way in your flesh, in your timidity or fears, and let the Holy Spirit's courage come out in you and through you. It's not you, Timothy, finding something in yourself. It's you getting out of the way and letting the Holy Spirit do what he does, who he is. I love that because every one of us can do that, right? Right? Literally every one of us can get out of the way in our flesh, confess any sin and the Holy Spirit now has more access to our thinking because he renews our mind as we study God's word through leading us, speaking to us about how to care for that person, pray for that person, serve that person, use our gifts over here because the Holy Spirit is really taking over. He's saying you gotta blow on that flame, like fan that ember, fan that little spark so it becomes a roaring fire. I've heard this analogy and I, I like it, you know, it's like having the Holy Spirit in your house, but you've relegated him to the basement and to just that corner. He's not really the Lord of your bedroom or the master of your office or the savior of your kitchen. Like he's he's not moving as the Lord and leader of the whole house. He's just been quarantined and he's over here, and you keep him nicely over there. That allows you to kind of live your own way, not really under the obedience of God, and surely not under the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul in other places in 1 Thessalonians 5 says, do not quench the Spirit, or in Hebrews 10, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. So we don't quench the Spirit. In fact, we fan the Spirit in our own life, and then we fan it in other people's lives, and you fan it in my life, and I fan it in your life. You fan it in your life group. And you fan it when you get together with that other guy or that other gal in your ministry. like You're fanning the flame. You're, what, you're basically saying, Holy Spirit, have more of me. You're in me, but have more of me. Speak through me. Speak to me. Use me. And that's why he says the Spirit is not timid. It's not fearful. It's not cowering. You don't, you don't sit back and let the world or someone else intimidate you. It's a powerful Spirit that sends you out as a servant to others. Because once you've squared with the fact, oh, people might not like me. I'm not gonna be everyone's cup of tea. I'm not trying to build some reputation or performance or I'm actually just trying to please God. So I'm gonna go in love and serve people. And if they're not interested or open, that's fine. I'll just keep going. See who God's opening, whose heart I can touch today. Wherever I am, doesn't matter. Who is it today, Lord? You go, the Holy Spirit gives you that power when you're worn down and tired. Anyone been that this week? Worn down and tired. And then after that, you're more tired and more worn down, even thinking about how tired and worn down. Like, yeah, there's a cycle, and then we got to, it's all self care. Now it's self awareness and self care and body care. And, you know, it's just like it can be so, just, we need the power of the Holy Spirit when we're tired and worn down. Get past ourselves and serve someone, love someone, show mercy and compassion, point them to Jesus. Yes, when you're tired. And yes, when you have a long list of stuff you've got to get done for your life, you can go, Yes, power now from you, God. Putting that aside, I'm available, God, now to you. I will go to the hospital. I will send that text. I will help that neighbor. I will be kind and loving and gracious toward my spouse. I'm tired. I'm worn out and I got my stuff. By whose power? The Holy Spirit who lives in you, not your own. That's what we get wrong. We think, oh, I don't feel like it. Well, if you look at your feelings, it's your own strength. Of course, you're not going to feel like it a lot of the time. Don't trust your emotions. Know what they are. Be able to express them, especially the kind we talked about earlier. But don't let emotions in the driver's seat. The Holy Spirit is the one. He has full access to the whole house, your whole life, right? He's the one that can direct you. Stir that up in yourself. Stir that up in one another it's a powerful spirit also he says it's loving the holy spirit is loving it's sacrificial initiative love is sacrificial what's the word initiative we don't love is not hanging back and see what happens love is you're thinking of other people like timothy his interest was the interest of christ which is what i think you got it by now the interest of christ is the welfare of others so if you say you have the interest of Christ today you'll be looking out for the welfare of others around you regardless of where you are you're at the airport you're standing in line somewhere you're in your car you're at the office you're home doesn't matter the interest the welfare of others is what the Holy Spirit wants to give me a focus to do I will sacrificially initiate I'm saying that strongly I don't want you to miss it it's oh well that's not the personality I have it's the personality of the Holy Spirit though and where does he live where does he live Jess where does he live in you. That's the Holy Spirit. That's how you'll know it's not you. So that's not like me. I'm not real outgoing. I'm not Mr. You know, shake every hand. Julie and I were talking about this the other day. It's like when you talk to most people, just about everyone you ever talk to said, oh that's not I'm not this real outgoing person. Everyone really are, are retiring and they'd rather retiring type of personality they, they don't want to be out shaking hands, you know. That's not really me either. It's just the Holy Spirit that gives me that. It's the Holy Spirit that takes you past your own personality. The Holy Spirit is the one who initiates his love through you. You're just the hands and the feet. You just show up and let him do it through you. Love is sacrificial initiative. I would love for you to write that down on your arm and pray about that. Am I sacrificially initiating kindness and love toward others in my life? And how often? And if I'm not much, why? You'll start growing. The Holy Spirit will start really growing you. And he'll be sending you out more. And then self-control. Which means a sound mind or disciplined, sober-minded, not reacting, responding to situations, slow to speak, you stop, you think, you pray, you rehearse a verse that you know, you think back on what you learned from your morning devotions because you're in the Word of God, you're thinking of that promise you heard at church, you're reminding of that that talk that you had with someone from your life group or your your women's study or men's study, you're, just, you're going to respond now. The Holy Spirit gives you more control. You're not just reacting in an emotion. You're not knee-jerking. You're just letting the Holy Spirit speak to you, and he will. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the Holy Spirit, and that's the pattern he's going to bring about in your life and in my life. Away with the anger. No more wrath and hatred. Pride, lust, and lying have to go. Anxiety, impatience, selfishness doesn't belong. The fruit of the Spirit more and more, because that's who he is, and that's what he'll do through you as you desire that. Wow, a lot in seven verses, huh? A lot. This is just the opening salutation, basically. But look what we can become in Christ if we had this kind of heart motivated by the power of the Spirit who lives in us. So here's the review. Or here are the questions, the reflection questions I'd love you to walk out with. Pray about this week, today. Talk to others. What practical steps can you take to deepen the sincerity of your faith? How will you build a legacy of faith with your family or friends? Where do you act timid or fearful Instead of relying on the spirit of power, love, and self-control, who lives in you? The Holy Spirit. That's enough to really pray about and respond to for one day. (laughs) So let's do that. Um, We're going to have a time of prayer right now so uh, and worship, and we're going to have an offering, and we're going to pass out the communion elements. So if you know Christ personally, take the bread and the juice and hold on to them. We'll eat and drink together. But during this time of worship, uh, just talk to God. Just pour your heart out to him, right? Just enjoy his presence and whatever confession may be on your heart because in scripture we're told not to rashly move toward the Lord's Supper, right? To, to discern the body, those here, discern the body of Christ and that you're forgiven. So if anything is in your heart that you need to confess to him, do that as we uh, get ready to thank him and remember him for what he accomplished through the cross. So let's go to a time of prayer and worship right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Paul, that you moved in mightily, that you gave these words to another son of yours, Timothy, and how much, Lord, we can learn from these two men of faith that ran the race, that fought the good fight, that put the armor on themselves. And Lord, may we follow in their footsteps, carrying the torch faithfully in our generation. Truly, Lord, truly relying on the power, the love and the self-control of the Holy Spirit so we can bear fruit for you. So you can fill our life with your presence and your blessing.